0: So finding within yourself where that line is, you know, it kind of speaks to the title of the book, the edge of the map, like find that edge, try not to go too far over the edge, but you, a lot of times I think you feel your most alive when you push just a little bit beyond that fear. Hey, I'm
1: Caroline and you're listening to In Her Nature, the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. so excited for our episode today with Johanna Garten. We talk about her book that she wrote called Edge of the Map. It's all about the mountain life of Christine Boscoff. We wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping here before we got into the interview. Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, we would really appreciate it if you shared this podcast with a friend and if you rated and reviewed us wherever you listen. Um, The other thing we like to get into before we jump in is this is not like the hard and fast rules of the road. You're not getting the full story here. So if it pertains to your health and safety, please reach out to someone that's going to give you the full story. I wanted to give a little bit of context before we jump into the interview with Johanna so I want to talk a little bit about Chris. Um, Chris was a premier female alpinist in the world. She was climbing in the 90s. and 2000s. she climbed six of the world's 14 8,000-meter peaks and six of the seven summits in the world. Highly recommend you read the book, Edge of the Map. It gives the full story of Chris and also talks about her life partner, Charlie Fowler. In the interview, there are a bunch of spoilers. So just keep that in mind if you haven't read the book. We don't want to ruin your experience of reading it, but we definitely get into the weeds a little bit. much for joining us on In Her Nature. I'm so happy to have you. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for
1: having me. Awesome. Um, so I brought you on today because you wrote one of my most favorite books I've ever read. Um, you wrote Edge of the Map. It's the... The Mountain Life of Christine Boscoff. I'm sure you could talk about it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so excited to talk to you because Chris is someone that's really inspired me. And then your writing has also just like really touched a lot of people in my life. So I've heard you say in other podcasts and in other things, you're you yourself are not a mountaineer. So right. how did you find out about Chris? And like, can you kind of walk us through why you decided to write about her?
0: Sure, I'm happy to do this. Um I love talking about this part of the story, and this is actually very personal to me, but it does tie in with her story very well. And I talk about it a little bit at the end of the book in the author's notes. So it's a little bit of a spoiler for those yep. people who might pick up the book, but I just I love talking about this part. So um I'm not a mountaineer. I grew up in Wisconsin, so like totally sea level. And I'm a long distance runner. Running is kind of always been my thing, but not a mountaineer. I um, moved out to Colorado in my 20s and I was living in Colorado in 2006. And I got a call from my mother, who was still in Wisconsin. And she said, have you heard about this woman named Christine Boscoff? She went missing. She's a mountaineer. She lives out in Colorado, but she's in China somewhere. And she and her partner have gone missing And have you heard this incredible story? And I hadn't. And my mom started going into the story talking about Chris and her disappearance and how there was this huge search and rescue operation to try to find them. And at one point, I stopped my mom and said, why are you so interested in her life and who she is? Because my mom's not a Mountaineer either. And she said, because you went to school with Chris Boscoff. And I was like, what, are you kidding? And she said, you went to high school with her. So it turns out we had grown up about two miles away from each other. Chris was three years older than me and we went to the same high school. We never crossed paths in high school. And she went on to have this extraordinary career in mountaineering. And I went on to have my own life and we both ended up in Colorado. uh, And she just had a, a unique story. Uh, her disappearance was kind of all over the national news. And she and her partner, this also is a little bit of a spoiler, though people kind of know this opening the book. She and her partner had died in Western Sichuan province in an avalanche. Her body was later discovered. And in this time where they were searching for Chris and Charlie, my mom reached out to Chris's mom, who also still lived in Appleton in this town where we both grew up. And because that's what you do in Wisconsin, you reach out if somebody's grieving or in totally. distress and bring a casserole, right? Yeah. So my mom became friends with Chris's mom. And by the time Chris's body had been found, my mother, who is also a journalist, decided that this was a book that should be written. So my mom began a journey to write the story of Chris Boscoff, and she worked on the book for about 10 years. And in that time, she developed Parkinson's disease. So, which is a pretty terrible degenerative disease. And at about the 10 year mark, she decided she couldn't keep working on the book. And at that point, I had just published my own book, my own first book, and I was looking for a new project. And so she approached me and asked if I would finish the book, the project that she had started working on. So she handed me all her research and I spent about three years and finished what she had started, the story of Chris.
1: That is so incredible. I'm sorry to hear about your mom's diagnosis, but Mm -hmm. it is such a beautiful like hand-me-down of stories. That is, and honestly, I think that is so evident in the writing that you do, because like you said, you open this book up and you kind of know the ending, but I remember like mourning the loss of Chris while I was reading this book, because I almost forgot about it. Like I remember I was reading it and I just felt like tears on my face. And I I was like, I will never be able to interact with her. Like, I'll never be able to like, I don't know. I just, the humanity, which you wrote the book is very evident. And that's what makes it one of my favorite reads. The other thing that is just crazy to me is, so I'm also from Wisconsin. I grew up here. I actually spent some time out East. So like half and half time. But the reason I found out about your book is because my grandma was reading, I think, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I'm not totally sure, sure. Saw the newspaper clipping, clipped it out of the newspaper, bought the book, put the clipping in, and gave it to me for my 21st birthday.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: That's- Isn't that just wild?
0: Yes. 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 That is wild. And it speaks to the book and how it really transcends generations of women. which Yeah, And
1: like I want to talk to you all about this because that's kind of what I want to talk about is just like... I, I just for mountaineering it's such a non-female sport, right? The original like the original people that did mountaineering were just they were all men basically. And Chris, I think in the time she did it. It's just I don't know magic. I don't know what it is, but that yeah. is why that story is wild.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm so glad you like it. That yeah, that story the story of my integration with hers has really touched people, and I do think that it comes across in the writing. And I have so many people telling me that. They are so sucked into the book and very much wanting a different ending, even though they know what the ending is going to be. They're like reading and page turning and page turning, wanting it to turn out differently. Um, And so invested in Chris and her journey um, and feel like they really get to know her through the narrative. I was lucky enough to be able to have her journals, which her mother shared with me. And so I was able to include her journal entries, which I think really brings her to life for people. So it's really special.
1: Okay. Well, I want to talk about that because I think it's so interesting because obviously Chris is no longer here. So, do you feel like you've kind of become a proxy for her story in any way? Like, that's a tough situation to be in, kind of.
0: It is. Yeah. I very much feel a sisterhood with her. And I didn't expect that when I started the book because I came into this as a journalist and I was trying to be very objective and all of that. But it's so easy to fall in love with her, even though she's gone, she right. left such a beautiful legacy. So it was very interesting for me to kind of fall through that process and be the person who's kind of really putting an imprint on that legacy. It was felt like a huge responsibility for me. Um, But I hope I did as best I could with it. Um, I think the testament is her friends and family who've read the book, most of them have now said that I really was able to capture her. So that was really very meaningful for me because it is a big responsibility.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's all you can do is give it your best effort and like, then at least you can be at peace about it. And they have a whole bunch of baggage. Everyone has baggage, you know? So if they were able to read it and feel some sort of peace and reminded of her, I think, That's a job well done. It's a hard job to do. So I give you a lot of credit. Thank you. Thank Um, you. I think it's so interesting. So you were able to read her journals and talk to people that knew her extremely well. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to talk about Chris. Do you think she was like you and I? Do you think she had a little something extra to her? Like, I just, I can't wrap my brain around her. I think, I don't know. I just think it's so interesting.
0: Yeah, I think she was totally just like you and me. Uh, And I think she just was a person who found that thing in her life that she really loved that she wasn't going to give up on no matter what everybody else was saying about her and she was a female in this very male-centric sport and she got lots of blowback for that it was very hard for her to pursue the things she loved but she was so committed to it and so if there's any difference in her versus us it was just that perhaps she found that thing that she was so passionate about and so I hope that we all kind of strive to find that thing in life because it's really unique, actually, um, more unique than it should be. I wish everybody had that thing in life that they adored right. so much. But from a right. physical standpoint, she wasn't really that different from you or I, I don't think, no.
1: That's crazy. I mean, I think she definitely is a little bit above, at least me, but <laughs> I don't know, that's just so interesting to think that like what she did, we could potentially do. right. Right.
0: I mean, I think genetically, there were a few things that she, you know, a few advantageous tweaks that she probably had. She was really able to adapt to high altitude in a way that a lot of people just cannot. I mean, I definitely cannot adjust that easily. Um, And I live up in Colorado now, but I live at 5,200 feet. And when I go above 8,000 feet, I can definitely feel it. Everybody just adapts a little differently. So she had a little something extra, maybe genetically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, you can't do anything about that, but I do think the mindset is huge. I mean, that's what gets you up the mountain. The, you have the physical thing and then the brain gets you all the way up to the top kind of. So I think that's really interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to get into before we blew past your story is all three of us, Chris, you and me are all from Wisconsin, which I think is just so cool. Cause it's this yeah. little state that no one on the coast really care about, but it, it kind of turns out some of these really amazing people like Molly Seidel, the Olympic runner. She's she's from my hometown in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a whole different story. But um, it just is crazy to me that we have some of these people that do amazing things from the state. Do you mm-hmm. think that her like Midwestern upbringing shaped kind of how she interacted with the world?
0: Yes, I do. I definitely think, and I tried to capture this in the book because as you know, there is a certain... Oh, gosh. Well, there are two things. There's a certain humility to people from Wisconsin. We're very deferential. We don't, we're not very self effacing. We don't like to toot our own horns. And so I think that can get you a long way on some degree. And there's also grit. There's definitely grit that comes from growing up in the Midwest and surviving those winters. And we are very hardy people. And so I think it is not surprising on some level that you have so many endurance athletes who end up being born and bred in Wisconsin sure.
1: Oh my gosh. We could talk about that for days. I love endurance sports. That's like where my heart lies, but the mountaineering is like so interesting too, because it's a different type of endurance. I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Another thing that you talk about a little bit in the book is the fact that these high consequence activities like mountaineering, where, I mean, it's a big consequence when you go on trips like this are often looked at in this kind of judgmental, selfish lens by people that are not in the sport. So, like, Mm -hmm. as a journalist, you were not in the sport at the time. Mm -hmm. How did your opinion of, like, mountaineering change as you learned more about Chris?
0: Mm -hmm. That's a great question. and I get that a lot. And it's such a fascinating subject to explore because I definitely came to the project in large part because I wanted to understand, like, what makes these people tick? That they take on such high-risk activities as high-altitude mountaineering, where you know, they could easily die. Um, what, what makes them do that? And is there any sort of selfishness to that sport? And that's how I came in, kind of wanting to answer that question. And what I learned through the process is that, well, a couple of things. First of all, there is a component of it, I suppose, that is selfishness, especially with the males. I think that that definitely, there is a part of it that's very ego-driven. Yeah. But most mountaineers, I think, there is something about it that just drives them. And it gets back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of passion. It's just something inside them that makes them want to live a life in the mountains. And they can't imagine being their true authentic self if they don't go out and climb high high altitude peaks. And so I became very aware of that and very much less judgy than I was when I started the project because I recognized that. Everybody, if we're lucky enough, has that thing in their life that they can't imagine living without, whether that's you're a parent and you have children and you can't imagine not having children, or you love dogs, or you love to dance, or you're an artist. Those are all things that we have in our own lives that we pour ourselves into that we can't imagine not having. And for them, it's a life in the mountains. And so there is a risk or perhaps a perceived risk in that. Um, But it doesn't make that choice any, you know, better or worse than any choice that we make as individuals as well. Yeah, I think that's so beautifully said. And I think I love that you
1: touched on like the male-female lens and how that is a little bit different. And like, do you have any advice, especially for women that are trying to kind of navigate that lens? I think you've thought about it a lot more than maybe like some of the people in the actual sport have.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think For women in the sport, I think things are getting better now. They're definitely more progressive and advanced than they were when Chris was climbing because she truly was climbing almost exclusively with males. And there are more women now in the sport. And so I think for women who are just starting in that sport, being able to identify people who embrace you and your love of the sport, whether those are men or whether those are women. I wouldn't even necessarily say that women should just stick to climbing with other women, because oftentimes that can have its own set of issues. Right. Yeah. Finding people who embrace you no matter your gender, because I think at the end of the day, like Chris didn't really want to spend a lot of time talking about the fact that she was a woman. She just wanted to be recognized as a climber and as a mountaineer and not have that label. So
1: yeah. And that's so interesting because it kind of, the label just comes, she didn't even choose it. It just was kind of slapped on her. Do you think that that changed kind of the objectives that she wanted to do? Did she kind of reach higher or I don't know, do you think the label, how did that affect her and her climbing?
0: I think for a while, she definitely felt some pressure because of that label. I mean, there was definitely a period of time where she was knocking out these 8,000 meter peaks. There are 14 8,000 meter peaks all over the world. And she had summited six of them. And she was the only American woman at the time. And actually still, she's the only American woman still to have summited six of the 8,000 meter peaks in the world. And so she was getting sort of external pressure to climb all 14. And she did kind of ride that train for a while, but at a certain point she realized that wasn't her thing anymore. And that was kind of the point at which she met Charlie Fowler, who was also very low-key, not into publicity at all. And the two of them were simpatico in that regard. And they really then just started to climb for pure pleasure. So her drive did sort of change at that point in her life.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Do you think the relationship that she had with Charlie, and for our listeners who may not be familiar, A, I would say absolutely go read the book. It's fabulous. But do some research on Charlie and Chris, because I think it's a very interesting couple. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think their relationship changed I don't know, like the style of climbing that they did or how they viewed the world, I guess. It seemed to me in the book, there was a big change.
0: Yeah, it definitely changed her. I mean, as I said, she kind of came into this She was the leader and owner of a guiding company. So her job was to kind of make money and be the face of the company and be on these big expeditions. And not just any guiding company. I mean, Mountain Madness, which if you've read Into Thin
1: Air, it's that's the guiding company. So I I think that's worth noting because it's probably the pinnacle of guiding at the time. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you, but.
0: That's okay. If your listeners haven't read Into Thin Air, I would definitely recommend reading the John Krakauer book first. I hardly ever say read somebody else's book first, but it really much it it really sort of sets up um, kind of the story of Chris because Chris took over a guiding company that was run by somebody who was featured in Into Thin Air. And so she yeah, her trajectory was kind of in this business realm. And then when she met Charlie, it really did sort of change the way she looked at the world. And he was never really into that game. Um, so they definitely influenced each other a little bit, but I, I would say that he influenced her more in terms of wanting her to get out of that game and just climb for pure pleasure. He did do some more high altitude expeditions with her. And so she had a little impact on him as well. And he eventually summited Everest himself, which I don't know that he would have done that without her. So it was an interesting partnership for sure.
1: Did you kind of glean any insight from that relationship on like I don't know. I think the risk management side of mountaineering is very interesting and how your own humanity can change the risks that you take on. Do you have any thoughts on how someone could have a relationship like that, but still manage risk in an appropriate way?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I do, I have thought a lot lot about that. And I do get that question from time to time because. I found it really interesting when I was talking to friends of Chris and friends of Charlie, and they had very different perspectives on why the two of them died. And Chris's friends said it was because Charlie was pressuring Chris and probably in that instant pressured, pressured Chris to keep going. And then you got the reverse from the other side saying, oh, no, it wasn't like that at all. It was Chris's fault. No, was it Charlie's fault? Like, why was it? So the reality is we never will really know the answer to that. Um, But I think for those of us who are still on earth and in situations that are risky like that, the best we can do is just listen to our heart and our mind and speak up um, no matter who we're with. And hopefully the person who we are climbing with loves and respects our decisions and our gut instincts, which may be very different than theirs in that moment.
1: Yeah. I think that's so interesting. I do think as women, um, we are kind of built with this self-awareness, just based on how our body works. Like we have to be aware of what changes we feel month to month, and I think that lends a skill set to the outdoors that's really helpful. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think if you feel a gut feeling, like don't ignore it. That's that's for a reason. And I also think that goes back to the Midwestern ties of like communicate effectively, but be kind about it. You know, it doesn't need to be personal, but. I just think that is so fascinating, like the communication when risk gets really high and how you do that. I don't know. It's fascinating right. to me. How you navigate it. Yeah. There are lots of pitfalls there for sure. Yeah. It's like humanity in a nutshell right there. Okay. Yeah. Um. You have had the privilege to just like talk to people and be in the lives of Chris and Charlie. Like, what are some lessons that you feel like you've learned that are not just for women, but things you've learned from Chris's life after doing this whole
0: journey? hmm Let's see. I would say, you know, she she was climbing in the early 2000s, which was way before the advent of social media as we know it today. And so she was really not driven by everything being documented all the time. And so I think that's one thing I've tried to model in my own life since kind of learning a lot about her, because I think she would be really sad as to what's kind of become of the world and that now climbing and sport in general is so focused on the images and less on the journey, not even the accomplishments, but the journey, which to her was so important, more important than reaching the summit, honestly. So I think that's one thing that I'll I'll take away from, from reading about her and learning about her life. That is, yeah, I
1: think that's such a good point. And I don't know, I feel like, When you know things are being documented, you maybe behave in a different way subconsciously. And I don't even think I've thought about that recently, but like I went for a bike ride this afternoon and I knew it would be posted on my Strava. So I took cute pictures, you know, and you don't think anything of that anymore. But I'm like, I wonder if I would have just like not worried about the photo op as much if I knew it
0: wasn't being posted. So that's so interesting. It is interesting to think about. I think about it a lot too, as just a writer, because as writers, most of us are writing with the goal of like being published and having other people out there reading our stuff. And so we're very focused on like every word and editing things and making sure it sounds right. And I heard someone at one point a while ago say, well, the true writer doesn't write to have things out in the world. They just write for their pure pleasure of writing. And I thought, oh gosh, I really, I would, I'm going to love to be at that spot someday.
1: Yeah. That's like <laughs> such a, it's, it's so well-meaning, but it's so yeah. hard to translate in your <laughs> own life. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. One thing I think that's interesting about your writing is that I don't, and I don't know, you can disagree with this, but I feel like the narratives you pick are very much like female focused or like, I appreciate your attention to detail, I guess, with female focused narratives. Do you think that's something you've always been drawn to, or do you think you've developed an eye for stories like that?
0: Uh, I think I've always been drawn to that. I uh, was a collegiate athlete myself. I ran division one track and cross country at Syracuse. And so I kind of grew up as a endurance athlete myself. And I saw the stories of women around me and was trained in journalism. So I think I've always kind of been looking for that. And now that's definitely where I'm drawn. And so writing the story of Chris was a natural fit for me. Obviously the story came from my mother, but it was an easy sell because I think the stories of women in the outdoors are stories that have been unheard of for so long. So I'm excited to keep telling those stories. The next story that I'm working on is also a story about a woman, an endurance athlete, who's a woman of color, which is also is another area of storytelling that needs to be heard and spread and embraced. So I'm excited absolutely. to keep absolutely.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. That makes me so excited because you just ticked all the things that I love to talk about. That is so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the point that you made about female stories, not always being the emphasis. I mean, we can take it back to Chris and Charlie. I've heard I wasn't, I was little at the time, but Charlie was the one who got a lot of this media coverage. He did. And yeah. then everyone knows Charlie Fowler. And then Chris's story took a little bit more, like a little longer to kind of surface. So I just think that's so fascinating that we're now getting to a time where women's stories are now as of value to men's stories, I guess. Well, hopefully yeah. they are, but-
0: Hopefully we're getting there. But it's, it's really been interesting for me and sobering for me to see that there's still a long way to go. I mean, there are very few books about female mountaineers out there. I mean, I- I have personal relationships with probably the three or four other women who have books out right now about high altitude mountaineers, they're just very few so for every one of our book there are like 50 of the books out there on men and most of those are men who are writing their stories their memoirs written by sorry but probably white men. And so we just need so more, so many more stories about women out there in the the universe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I was so drawn to your book. so I loved into thin air. I did like a fourth grade project on it. And I remember my teacher being like, why are you writing about this? It's so tragic, you know, (laughs) and my parents were like, it's fine. Just do it. If you're interested in it, just like present it and move on. So I just remember being so fixated on that realm. And it was so different than Wisconsin and everything. And when I, when my grandma gave me your book, I was like, this is the ultimate combo of everything I'm interested in right now. And it just, yeah, I think that's just so, there are people, there's an audience out there. So please keep writing those stories because they, I'm so excited to hear like more about your next project.
0: Yeah. 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 There's definitely an audience. Um, and they're hungry for these stories. I mean, there's a whole audience right now that's reading a lot of women's running books. There's been a whole slew of women's running books that have come out in the past, like even in the past six months, which is super exciting. Yeah. Des so like
1: Linden book that just came out. That's a huge, like <laughs> yeah. I need that's on my list. I literally have another book on my like tabs that are open right now by Lauren Fleshman. Oh. Yeah. Have you read it?
0: Oh my gosh. It's, unbelievable yeah
1: I'm really excited because her like whole story I think will be really interesting I did an interview with one of her really good friends this morning and he recommended it to me so I was like oh I have to buy this
0: book (laughs) yeah yeah and if you're into audiobooks mine is also on audio but for your listeners who prefer audio that's a great way to absorb books too while you're running or walking or whatever so
1: yeah, yeah, I love that tip. I feel like it's that's how I engage with media most of the time. Like rarely do I read an actual book unless it's like gifted to me. I do a lot of audiobooks. So Good. yeah, that's Good. so interesting. Okay, uh-huh. I, another thing I wanted to ask was just coming from your background and your lens, like do you see a change at all in the outdoor community with women's storytelling? I know we've talked a little bit about it, but like where do you think that movement has come in the last couple of months? alone we've we've seen all these books kind of come to light like i'm just Mm -hmm. interested to see maybe why it's happening
0: yeah that's a good question i don't know that i necessarily have an answer to that i think women have just probably gained more of a voice in the past decade And so publishers, if we're talking specifically about books, I think publishers are drawn to those voices and have been able to recognize, sadly, that there's a financial market for those books. And that has driven um, them to sign authors who are writing these stories. And so, you know, if there are dollars at stake and there's an audience, then publishers buy into it. And so I think Hopefully that'll just be a trend that continues. Now that there's been a little bit of a track record with those stories.
1: Yeah, totally. Do you have any advice for people that are trying to figure out their own story, like in the outdoor sphere? Maybe not even in the sense of like they want to get published, but more so they're trying to figure out what their passions are. Do you have any advice on that at all?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I would give advice that probably sounds cliche, but, and that you've probably heard a million times before, but I think trying everything is great, especially, I mean, not just when you're in your twenties and thirties, but onward into the decades. But if you think you might have a passion for whatever it is, rock climbing, give it a try. If you might be paragliding, try that. All the things that maybe aren't specifically women-oriented sports, if you have even a little niggling about that, give it a try, I would say. It's only by trying these things that you're going to find what you're truly passionate about. I'm about to learn how to surf, which I never would have thought I would have done being from Wisconsin. And I might hate it, but oh my gosh, I got to try it, right? You have to try everything.
1: I love that energy. And it's funny because I actually was like on my bike ride today. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Uh, the waves look really good right now. I surf a teeny tiny bit bit in Lake Michigan, like not a lot, but enough Mm -hmm. where like, I like to do it and I keep an eye on it. But I learned during my gap year between undergrad at Madison and my dental school starting. So that is so cool. Where are you going to start? Like what, what made you want to start surfing and
0: where, what are you doing? We've spent a bunch of time in Costa Rica, which is kind of a surfer's paradise. So my next trip to Costa Rica definitely has to include a few days of surfing, I think.
1: Okay. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Kind of my last big question, and then I want to do some wrap up ones, is this idea of fear. And I think it ties into Chris's story, but it also ties into just trying new things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like these high consequence activities can have a lot of fear associated with the sport, but also mm-hmm. just being new and trying a new thing can have a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. After reading about, or doing all your research about Chris, like what lessons of fear did you learn from her navigating fear?
0: Mm -hmm. I think ultimately I learned that fear isn't something, well, it sounds funny, but fear isn't something we should be scared of, that it's natural. And you should not ever try to kind of tamp it down because I think a healthy dose of fear is really important. It helps you tap into whatever those limits might be. So finding within yourself, where that line is, you know, it kind of speaks to the title of the book, The Edge of the Map, like find that edge, try not to go too far over the edge. But you a lot of times, I think you feel your most alive, when you push just a little bit beyond that fear, and find it to be very empowering. So that's one thing that I've taken from her life and her legacy.
1: I love that. I think that's like, So well said. And just, yeah, I totally agree with that. I feel like when I read the book, I really felt like she, I mean, she was like an engineer. She didn't necessarily have this background in mountaineering, but she kind of slowly built up the experiences and then you gain confidence through that and the fear starts to go down a little bit. Obviously, it's not the ending we would hope for, but that's life. It happens that way sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very easy to get caught up in, especially as women get caught up in imposter syndrome and feel like you shouldn't be in the room because you don't have experience and I'm scared and I should listen to that. And I should just back off and do something that's more conventional Um, and pushing yourself beyond that sometimes is healthy.
1: Yeah. And I think, Oh my gosh, I felt that in my own life so much and it's learning how to recognize imposter syndrome And naming it, I think is one of the hardest things because you don't know if it's your own gut feeling on something or if it's just, I don't know, as women, it's easy to be feel like an imposter in these scenarios that are heavily dominated by men. Do you feel like you're, I don't even know. I feel like imposter syndrome has grown in the last couple of years. Like I never heard about it 10 years ago. Mm. Do you think Chris felt that feeling without having a name to it?
0: Uh, yes, to a certain extent. And I could see that when I was reading her journals, I think there was a lot of self doubt that I read about in those journals. And I think I conveyed some of it because yeah. I felt like it me- it made her more real to the reader. There were actually a few sections in the book that I really had problems with, um, in terms of discussions with my editor. There were a couple of sections of her journals that talked about her self doubt And I think she referred to her low self-esteem at one point. And one of my editors said, well, we want to take all that out because you've made her this really strong woman. And now there's this section where she's talking about her self-doubt, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome sometimes. And they felt like that was sort of taking that, it was sort of tarnishing that image that I had built up. And I was like, I went to the mat on this. And I said, I don't want to take that out because that's real. And that's how we all feel, especially women. So that's going to be really relatable. So, you know, please let me leave that section. And so luckily that's a battle that I won. Um, but I do think it speaks to maybe that imposter syndrome that you mentioned.
1: I, that's so interesting to me that you had to fight for it though. And I think that in itself says a little bit of something about like female narrative that there's this kind of two sides to it. There's the, I'm very strong and I have this confidence that I've learned and I'm capable and then there's the other side that's like i i don't know if i am i truly don't and i think that i don't know that perfectly explains like female narrative right there and just the battle you had to have to even display it in a proper way i think
0: right right it's not just either or and i think that's what i was trying to convey when i was having those conversations with my editor it's not black or white it's not she's a badass or she's weak there's always area of gray in between in all of us. And so it's important to convey that and recognize that.
1: Oh, totally. And it makes the story so much more realistic. Like that's really what I felt reading it. I felt like I really could see myself like in her thoughts and in your writing. I was like, I have had these same exact thoughts and I'm nowhere near the success of Christine Boscoff. You know, like that just really struck home with me that like, it's okay. It's normal to have these thoughts. Like it's not a bad thing. It's just, sometimes uh it's just natural sometimes to have these thoughts
0: I don't know yeah yeah it's a real gut check in who you are and that's yeah. a good yeah
1: yeah totally oh, well thank that was some like really good heavy not heavy but just important <laughs> things so I appreciate it. I need to take a deep yeah. breath and just like come up for air a little bit but you were talking about surfing is there anything else new that you're learning that's really exciting to you right now
0: Hmm. Well, I'm spending a lot of time in the science of female athletes and women's sports science, which there isn't nearly enough of these days. And so that's really, I would say that it's not necessarily exciting me, but it's educating me. And I guess that's exciting in and of itself. Um, And a lot of it is tied into these books that are coming out um, by female authors about female distance runners. So that's exciting to me.
1: Oh my gosh. I'm looking so forward to that book coming out. I mean, that is like my ultimate, I love listening to podcasts and just learning more about how our bodies work. Cause there is not a whole lot of like really high evidence-based research about that stuff yet. So I'm really excited to read yeah. more about it. Great. Awesome. great, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit and chat about Chris's life. I know it was a project that you've worked on for a really long time. I mean, 10 years of your mom, and then I'm sure years for you. So it's been a, a lifetime, I'm sure it feels like, talking about her.
0: It does. But I could talk about her forever. And I hope, that, I hope that I do. The book is in discussion now to be made into a motion picture. So we will cross our fingers. That would be good. You can have me back on. Oh, my word. That's so exciting. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh. We'll cross our fingers. It's a long awesome. process.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it deserves it. It is one of the most, like I said, it's one of the most fabulous books I've ever read. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. Like, it truly is just so wonderful. So if you haven't read it already, do you recommend any place for people to buy the book? Like, do you have a route that you prefer?
0: You know, everybody buys books differently. If they are the kind of person that likes a book signed by the author, they can certainly buy the book on my website, which is joannagarten.com, and I'll sign it and send it to them directly. It's very easy to buy the book on Amazon. That's great also because you can go in and rate it after you read it. And ratings on Amazon are huge for authors. But then also I love to plug independent bookstores. So if they have an independent bookstore nearby, that's another great place.
1: Fabulous. Johanna, yeah. thank you so much. Is there anything else that we can help support you on? I know you said you're working on a manuscript. Are you able to tell us date wise, like when we can kind of keep our eyes open for your next project?
0: Yes, I can. There are a couple of things I can share. So my next project is that a distance running narrative featuring a couple of athletes here in Colorado, a married couple who are long distance runners who were born in Kenya and came to the United States and are now American citizens and running for the US. And that is going to be published next April. Uh, and Congrats. yeah, thank you. It's that's really a
1: big project. That's super exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's great. The other thing I will leave with your listeners is that one thing I love to do is connect with book clubs. So if any of your listeners have book clubs and would like to read edge of the map as one of their monthly book club books. I often come on and do zooms with groups after they finish the book. So I'm happy to do that. And they can find me on my website as well.
1: Fabulous. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, but like, I am just so excited to get this to our listeners and have them hear your story as long as along with Chris's.
0: Great. Thank you for having me.
1: You can find us at in Her nature Pod on Instagram and TikTok and InHerNaturePod at gmail.com. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. Music by Tommy Zalewski and the Porch Flowers. All our design work is by Riley Johnson at REJ Design. Don't forget the stuff is in your nature.